have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32, we're continuing in our study of the life of Jacob. Just a couple more weeks in this. As, as this is going to be weird this morning. Is it raining more weird than normal? Well, probably not. But um, this is this is a kind of a, a weird place for me. Most of you know, most of you have been praying, and I'm so grateful that my mom has been struggling with health issues. She lives in California. Roger and I flew out there this week and tried to kind of work some things out, and I'll be telling you about that as it goes along. And my, my board, the board of directors, which is also just so gracious to me all the time, urged me to get a guest speaker so I wouldn't have to prepare for this weekend. But um, I wanted to come and just let you in on what the Lord is doing in my life, what I feel I'm struggling with. And it's so fascinating that it goes right to where we're studying in Jacob. I don't know why I would be surprised at that. But um, uh, I, I made kind of a discovery that you may well relate to. My problems are way more serious at night. I don't know why that is, but I wake up in the middle of the night struggling with something and it seems like it's magnified. I don't know if it's because I'm just overly exhausted or maybe I'm spiritually vulnerable when I'm asleep. I don't know. But when I wake up, my problems aren't near so scary. It's like the sunlight minimizes my issues, but at night, it's a problem. Anybody relate to that at all? You guys? Now, I wonder if that's a spiritual thing. You think maybe God is up to something? In the story of Jacob, let me just kind of catch you up by way of review. When we left him last week, Jacob is at the absolute lowest moment of his life. He has sent all of his possessions and his family ahead. He is alone and he is broke. He has spent his life trying every scheme and every strategy to possess a blessing that he already had. And now he is not only at the end of his rope, he may well be at the end of his life because he's going to meet his brother Esau who has been hunting him. This is Genesis chapter 32. We'll begin reading in verse 20, 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servants' wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. 
the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Now, this, I would say, is the pivotal moment in Jacob's life. In fact, when we began this study of Jacob, we all knew we were looking forward to this moment because this is a biggie in this story. Now, let me kind of set the scene for you. It's nighttime, of course. And the Bible says that Jacob is attacked by an unnamed man. Now, try to get in your head here what's going on with Jacob. He's awakened out of a deep sleep with no warning whatsoever. He is embraced, encountered by this, this person, this being, this entity. And Scripture doesn't elaborate, but I'm thinking, what must Jacob have been thinking? What is this? What's going on? What would you do? Well, the Bible says that Jacob fought like a madman until morning. Now, I've heard a hundred sermons on Genesis 32. You have too. And there's a lot of doctrinal theories of what this means, what's going on here. But most Bible scholars talk about the, the theology of suffering here. Why do we suffer? Does this somehow explain what God is up to? And there's a couple of common doctrinal theories about suffering. The first one is punishment for sin. And it goes like this. God is not capricious. So if you've got a problem in your life, that must be due to a personal issue. We see that in John chapter 9 when Jesus and His disciples encountered the blind man born from, blind from birth. And the disciples said, So who was it that sinned, Jesus, this boy, or His parents? Because there must be sin involved because they're suffering, right? Now, there are instances in Scripture where God punishes people for their sin. We can read in Hebrews chapter 4 where the Bible says that God disciplines the people He loves. In fact, it calls it the Lord's rebuke a lot of times. But this is what we know. Jesus took the punishment for our sin on Himself on Calvary. And because His shed blood cleanses us from sin, we are not ever, ever punished because of our sin. Jesus took that. And if you argue that you're being punished for your sin, you're actually saying that the cross doesn't matter. And we know that's not true, right? Okay, so what is this? The second kind of theory around suffering is that God is making us sensitive to the struggles of others. Now, it's certain that our suffering does create empathy with us, but how far is God taking that? God did not cause children in Africa to starve so a company can make a TV commercial and make me feel bad so I'll give money. God didn't do that. God is not causing people to suffer, but God does redeem our suffering. Okay? Well, then, Randy, maybe it's because suffering is just part of life. Suffering is part and parcel with the human condition. And that is absolutely true. 
We know that when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in sin, sin was injected into the human condition. And every single one of us, Romans says, was born enemies of God. We were born into sin. But suffering is just part of life is, is actually too simple an explanation. If that's all there is to it, then we serve a God who's a nihilist that just stands back with his arms folded, doing nothing about our situation. And that's not true either. I have held a baby in my hands who was wriggling and uncomfortable in her own skin because of fetal alcohol syndrome. And I'm telling you, a God that would do that is not worthy of our devotion. That's not God. But back to the story of Jacob. We do not know why Jacob was physically attacked by God. But we do know at that moment that was exactly what Jacob needed. Now again, Bible experts will say this is the very moment when Jacob was blessed. In fact, the Bible says that the man blessed Jacob there. But here's the problem with that. His entire life... Jacob knew what the blessing looked like. He knew what he was after. Jacob was certain that the blessing God had for him, the covenantal blessing, would include wealth and authority and esteem. But what Jacob got was struggling, suffering. It wasn't what he wanted at all. And then a lot, of, a lot of times we find that our suffering is accompanied by disappointment. You know how it is when you have an idea of what you want and you ask God for what you want because He said you don't have because you don't ask. So you ask God and then what you receive back is nothing what you had in mind at all. And what you're left with is emptiness and disappointment and despair. Yay! Thank you for those amens. So, so what we're struggling with is this, this battle that Jacob had in the middle of the night really the blessing that God had for him? Well, I don't know. I'm sorry I don't have really any insight about that. But I think what is really important is what follows. And I think we can learn something from this. First of all, the Bible says that God changed Jacob's name. His whole life he had been known as striver, schemer, conniver, grabber. And God says, you will now be called Israel, which means I have struggled with God. In other words, he said, Jacob, you are now the one who is in partnership with God. Now we're working together. And folks, if you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. The Bible says that when Jesus... Changes that comes into a person's life, they're changed from old to new. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that instantly because of the blood of Jesus, we're adopted into God's family, named as His beloved children, and the Holy Spirit bears witness that we've been adopted into God's family. A new identity. And that's what Jacob had now, a brand new identity. But please notice something. This is important. Even though Jacob got a new identity, his situation did not change. Jacob had a new name, but his position has changed. Now God is saying, I see that you cling to God no matter what. Well, what if that's the blessing? 
So God changed Jacob's name. And then the other thing that happened immediately after that is that Jacob walked with a limp. I am finally at the age where I relate to all the people that I've been making fun of all these years. (laughs) Something always hurts. We need surgery for this and that and the other. So I hereby publicly repent for mocking all of you all these years. In fact, I think next time I go to the doctor, I'm going to ask for one of those handicap stickers. If I can get one of those, that would be great. But see, here's the thing about lower back pain and, and your neck and your shoulders and your knees and everything that hurts. Here's the thing about that. You have a constant reminder that you're human. That is always with you every single moment. You never get away from this trek toward the grave. And we're constantly reminded that we're finite and human. Well, why is that good? The next morning, when Jacob went out to confront Esau, if he had ever had the fleeting thought that maybe he could stand up for himself, it's gone. Now the Bible says that Jacob is hobbling humbly toward this encounter with his brother with absolutely no power, no self-effort at all. The only way he can do this is by the mercy of God. And now for the rest of his life, Jacob is carrying this constant reminder of his struggle with God. So, looking back at the story, Jacob goes out to meet Esau and he falls on his face in humility. And watch what happens. This is Genesis 33, 4. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they both wept. Hmm, I wonder if God knew that was going to happen. I wonder if that's what God had designed all along. I'm closing here. I'd I'd be dishonest if I were to tell you that this was not a very tough week for my family. But it was also very instructive for me. And I learned a lot this past week through this process. Isn't that just like the Lord? In fact, let me just reassure you that God is always speaking if we'll just take time to listen. So if you don't know, my mom is 85 years old. She lives in Yucca Valley, California, which is in the high desert. And she's been very, very healthy her entire life. She never gets the flu. Blood pressure is perfect. No issues, no heart issues. She's great. But the last couple of months, she's had something come up. We're not quite sure what. And she's been very weak, where she couldn't even get out of her recliner. So obviously, Roger and I, is, is, we're concerned. And still, she's just full of faith. So she had doctor's appointments on Thursday and Friday. We went out there. Now, I want to be very careful not to eulogize my mom here, because we're not there. But there are so many parallels between what I read in the story of Jacob and what I experienced this week that I want to just let you in on and just share with you. And if you're uncomfortable with my vulnerability, I apologize in advance. But back, at the, we're only going to be another week or so in this study, but back at the end of the story, in Genesis 37, the Bible says this in verse 4. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. So in other words, after this lifelong quest 
after all his travels and, and after all the adventure, the Bible says now Jacob settled down. And there is a massive lesson here. In the 28 years or so that I've been your pastor, I've walked through a lot of crazy issues with a lot of you. And some of them the highest, most exciting times in life, like the birth of a baby. And I've also walked with many of you through crushing tragedies. But as I think back about it, though, most of my ministry has not been taken up with dramatic moments. The vast majority of my ministry has been taken up with the ordinary. Helping you raise your kids. Helping you balance your budgets. Trying to help you get through the flu. Not a big deal, just stuff. And if I were going to put a spiritual spin on that, I would say that my job has been helping us find holy moments in the ordinary. When my dad retired in 1998, they sold their home and bought a trailer and mom and dad took off. And they, they, they pared down their life to nothing. And they would travel south in the summer and north in the, or back south in the winter and north in the summer. It doesn't matter to me. I stay in Oklahoma, so I don't care. <laughs> but eventually settled in, in Yucca Valley. If you don't know, that's about 30 miles up the mountain from Palm Springs in the high desert. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And, and my mom's had a great life. In fact, my dad's been gone 10 years and she just stayed because she's really involved in a big church there and she's got a group of friends. Sound like they're terrible trouble in that community, and she's very involved in volunteering and stuff. And just and these people, her phone rang constantly while their friends checking on her. So she's had a great life there. But now, it seems like my mom's life, every time I talk to her, revolves around memories, and not in kind of a weird, unhealthy way, but she just cherishes what her life has been. And, and, what that, the bottom line of that is that my, my mom lives this life of incredible gratitude. In fact, when I talk to her on the phone, she will say, I just can't believe it when I get up in the morning and open my blinds and see the sun on the mountains. And I'm so grateful. And she says, if people could hear me walking around my house, they would think I was crazy because I just talked to Jesus out loud and tell Him how grateful I am and how blessed I am. And that's just who she is. She lives this amazing life of gratitude. And it made me realize, here's what I want to bring to you. It made me realize that society has trained us to measure life incorrectly. And what I mean is, we've been trained to celebrate the exceptional and highlight the extraordinary. So consequently, our big successes, our big life markers are about you know, getting a degree and getting a good job and buying a house. And then when that doesn't do it anymore, we go get another degree and we get a promotion and we buy a bigger house. And at the end of that, what is there? And for some of you that are saying, well, it doesn't matter to me because I don't have a degree. Let me just tell you that this societal pressure scales. Because you may be saying, I don't have a degree, but boy, I'd sure like to get that promotion at work because wouldn't my neighbors think something under me if I had a boat in my driveway, right? Well, here's the truth. And this is what I learned from being with my mom this past week. Society measures wrong. 
All that big stuff that we think is so important, none of that matters. None of that stuff matters. It doesn't make you more valuable. And here's what you need to hear if you're a Jesus follower. Your life is enough just like it is. And hear me, you are enough just like you are. Where's the baby yelling? No, that was good. There was a point right there. When my son was small, I used, to, I used to come up behind him and grab him by the ankle and a wrist and I would swing him around up and down like an airplane. And he would just laugh and he loved it. And I would go until I'd kind of start to get dizzy and I'd set him back down. And he would say the exact same thing every time. Do you know what that was? Do it again, Daddy! So I'd grab him and I'd pick him up and spin him around till I was just about to throw up and I'd put him back down. And guess what he'd say? Just a, just a couple weeks ago, I saw him and said, hey, so let me try that again and see if I can. Yeah. Here's the lesson. A life of blessing is not defined by getting up in the morning at 4 o'clock and praying and reading your Bible for an hour. Although we should. That doesn't define a blessed life. A life of blessing is not defined by fasting one day a week. Although we should. A, a blessed life is not about telling everybody we meet about Jesus. But we should. What I've come to learn is a successful spiritual life is about walking in obedience to Jesus day after day after day. That's the blessed life. A spiritually successful life is just following over the long haul and not quitting day by day by day. A blessed life is about focusing on the eternal rather than the immediate every single day. And see, when you're living that kind of life, then, then just doing it again day by day is what we're supposed to be doing. The problem we have, if you're like me, so many of us get to the end of the day and we lay our head on the pillow, and we're just about to go to sleep, and oh, I forgot to carve out time for Jesus today. And we feel like a failure, and Satan jumps on with both feet. What kind of a Christian are you? You're a miserable failure. And then besides all the spiritual pressures, we deal with all the societal pressures. When all of your kids' friends have the, the cool tennis shoes and your kid wants them and you can't afford them because you've heard that maybe there's going to be another round of layoffs at work and you don't know what you're going to do. Or you got out of the shower and you notice that mole on your shoulder is getting a little bigger and maybe you really need to ask the doctor about that next time you see them. So there's all the spiritual stuff and there's all the societal stuff and there's no wonder we can't sleep at night. But I'm saying what? If your testimony just consists of going to work every day and of being a source of encouragement to your coworkers, what if your testimony is about just trying to do the right thing and putting other people before yourself? What if your testimony is Jesus sending you out the door every morning and saying, do it again? 
And that's what this thing is about. You see, it might not mean much where society is concerned, but heaven celebrates. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. My mother has lived and is living a life that's delightful to her. She loves it. And it's not been perfect. And it's not been without struggles. And yes, she would tell you she's made mistakes and has setbacks, but she has served Jesus and everybody else she could get her hands on. And so what I'm saying is, I'm absolutely sure that when she sees Jesus, her suffering's not going to matter. It won't matter at all. And she won't care that she's limping to the finish line. It won't matter. And here's something else I know. When Jesus sees her, he's going to say, I don't care what society said, you are enough. Jesus, we're all limping to the finish line. Every single one of us in this place is carrying heartache and baggage. All of us is full of questions about why this happened. Why didn't you show up? All I know is that from the story of Jacob, we are assured once again that there is purpose in the suffering. We're reminded that you're always up to something. And even though it doesn't make sense to us, and even though our bank balance is not what we need it to be, and even though our kids are going crazy, somehow this is already all worked out. It has been from the beginning. You've had it all worked out from the beginning. So all we're asking from you today, Jesus, is let us rest in that. I come to you this morning, Lord, confused and unsure and a little bit afraid. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I know that you've got this. So I just submit myself to you, Father. I just come again and fall at your feet and confess my weakness and admit my frailty and my humanness. And I'm just trusting you once again to put the pieces for me together again. You always have, and I know you always will. And I just pray in Jesus' name for people that are here today that are at their end. They don't know where they're going to go, what they're going to do. They don't know how this is going to work out. Would you visit them right now by your Spirit? And Lord, as we walk out of this place in a moment, I pray that a supernatural presence would go with every single person in this place and we would just know. I don't know how, just know that in the limp, in the pain, in the struggle, we will never lose this new name. Adopted children of God. Thank you, Jesus.